What's going on, everybody? I just wanted to let you know real quick that the Hyperfocus Masterclass is officially live. We put a ton of time and energy into this project, and based on all the positive feedback so far that we've received from students, it's it's, it's pretty awesome. Seriously, we're, we're really psyched on how it all turned out. If you're interested in learning all the habits, rituals, routines, systems, processes, frameworks, and more that you know help me turn my ADHD into a superpower to get out of massive debt and build a $70 million real estate portfolio over the past 10 years, then you're definitely going to want to head over to beyondtheapex.com backslash hyperfocus and check it out. All right, let's get to the show. Yo, I want to tell you guys the story of the last job I ever had, because I think there's a really interesting lesson in there about the 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 power of owning your own thing and having ultimate accountability and how fragile working for somebody else actually is. And because I think a lot of people have the narrative in their mind that the safe route in life is go to college, get your degree, come out and then go work for somebody else in some big fortune 500 company, put your time in for 30, 40 years and then retire. And I got an email not too long back from a woman whose husband had been and was an architect, a great architect, been working with the same company for 25 years. So you can kind of extrapolate. He's probably near in his fifties or so. And, um, just out of the blue, they laid him off out of the blue. I don't know. They were downsizing. It's unclear, but he didn't have anything else. Yeah. No other income streams, nothing else to fall back on. And it was heartbreaking because, you know, he was, he was just hitting his stride in terms of getting to do the projects and all the things that, you know, come with the seniority of like putting in that much time. And it was just, it's just a reminder that working for other people, it's, at the end of the day, if you have a boss, even as you know, a middle manager, you have one person who has the ability to decide your entire fate. That's a lot of fragility, a lot of risk. And I think a lot of people just don't realize that. I certainly didn't. So when I got fired for the last time, and you know, that's a spoiler alert, my last job that I ever had, I was fired from. And I mean, to lay the scene, that that wasn't extraordinary. I probably had worked 30 or 40 different jobs between the time I was 16 to 27 ish. And, uh, I was probably fired from the vast, vast, vast majority of those. And I can blame my ADHD and just say, I was, you know, I'm just different. I am just not reliable or unfocused or whatever. Like I could point to all those things, but at the end of the day, I was a shitty employee. I I couldn't be motivated to go work for somebody else. I didn't care. And in my mind, I always created this victim main t- mindset mentality that I was I was too good for the job and that my talents, my abilities just weren't being properly utilized and recognized and that if they could, that they realized how brilliant and awesome I was, they would give me the, the responsibilities and roles that I was deserving of. And because they had me doing the menial tasks, like uh, they obviously didn't value me and, and recognize what I'm capable of. So why should I put more in? That was my mindset. Very, very misguided. But that that's what I was. That's where I was. So I was in life at that point. And um, the last job I had, I was working at a climbing gym. This was during the time when I was a a professional rock climber, which really just means I I got to travel the world and, and climb rocks and live in the dirt. I wasn't making a ton of money. And to supplement that, I would coach and I was a root setter at climbing gyms. Now, a root setter, if you've ever been to an indoor climbing gym, they're the guys that put the holds on the wall to create the roots or the different paths that the climber can follow to get from the ground to the, the top. And in, in the world of climbing, this is actually a very highly coveted role because root setters are kind of the, 
I don't know, the rock stars of the local rock climbing community. They tend to be the strongest climbers. They tend to have the most connections. They tend to be the most highly regarded. And so it's kind of like the cool kids table in high school. Like, it's like, I don't know. That, that's just kind of how it is. Um, it's very, very weird, <laughs> very weird thing to be held in high esteem. But I was considered, I would say, probably top three root setters in the country. I had won. They put on these root setting competitions where root setters come together and they judge. And I won a couple of those. I root set for an ESPN um, TV show. Um, I was highly sought after, but I didn't. I didn't like playing the game of uh politics and bureaucracy and so i never went for my accreditation to like go set at nationals or olympics or anything like that instead i was just a i was just a journeyman i would travel from gym to gym um route setting and did very very well doing that and i ended up settling in california and route setting for a very very large chain out there so there's actually two large chains and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna name names because i don't want to i don't want to like live i don't want to do i don't want to go back to that place um of my life and share and like bad mouth anybody. It's not about that. This story is not about that. Um, but I went and worked for a company that had many, many, many climbing gyms all throughout California. And, uh, I was one of the head root setters that would coordinate the teams. We'd travel around, we'd go from gym to gym, to gym every day of the week, putting up new routes. It was a very grueling job. You can imagine like hauling up these, these polyurethane rock climbing holes and sticking them on the wall. It's very grueling activity. It's also very dangerous because we're working at heights on ropes, you know, 20, 30, 40 feet off the ground. In a lot of cases, you're working over a non-padded surface. Like you're working in an environment where your coworker could drop a hold that weighs 20 pounds and could crush your skull. All sorts of things could go wrong. But back then, this was really the Wild West of uh, safety, I would say. Root setters and climbers in general always kind of had like this... Uh, anti-culture towards safety. In a lot of ways, rock climbing from the 70s, 80s, 90s, it was like a rebellion against societal norms. People wanted to go adventure. They wanted to go out in the mountain and they didn't want people over encumbering themselves with safety and tools and logistics, all this stuff. And so like, there's a lot of freedom of expression and that has always been part of climbing. And more so than anywhere else was in root setting. Like these, you can imagine like testosterone driven 20 year old males who are the apex predators of, of their craft, great climbers. And so we were, we were dumbasses, like no other way to put it. Like we would do all sorts of stupid stuff on ladders, on ropes. And it was a crazy, it was crazy times. Like looking back on it now, I'm like, I can't believe we didn't get hurt more often than we did. Um, doing some truly ridiculous things. Anyways, there came a point in my career where I started to get a little bit more um, organized, I guess, in terms of like not wanting to get hurt and trying to organize the team in a way to bring some level of professionalism into our craft and try to get away from that Wild West mentality. And so started to put a bigger focus on safety, on uh, protocols, and just trying to be the, the standard bearer as a crew for the rest of the country and the world as root setters and kind of setting the standard. But it was a very, it was very hard, you know, imagine like kind of pushing against that counterculture. So it was like slowly being implemented over time. Well, there was an occasion where we were, we were working that day, the crew, and uh, one of the guys came in and he was, he was high. Listen, like we were living, living in California. And at the time, this is Berkeley, California, like 
that wasn't uncommon. Like he came in high and uh, he was in charge of setting the anchors that morning. So what that means is setting up the ropes, securing them, making sure that they're fastened securely and correctly so that the crew, you know, seven, eight guys are all going to be on these different ropes at height, um, making sure that those anchors are going to hold. And so the guy that set them up, set them up wrong. And I was at the top of the wall and there was so the way that we start our day is everybody, you know, climbs up their rope to the top of the wall and we strip the wall. So you go to the top, then you take down all the holds, you drop them to the ground. And as you come down, you create a blank canvas. And then we start re we start from the ground up and put the holds back up. Anyways, we start at the top of the wall. We start taking holds off. I'm up there for about five minutes chatting with the guy right next to me, a couple arms length to the right and the guy a couple arms length to the left. When suddenly my rope fails, the anchor fails and, uh, I start falling. And fortunately, um, just a reflex, I happened to reach out and grab a hold on the wall and catch myself. So I only fell maybe like a foot before catching myself out of just pure startle reflex, got really lucky. And, uh, which is incredibly fortunate because it would have been about a 30 foot fall and there was a ladder directly underneath me. So like there's a very good possibility I would have just broken my back on the, on this A-frame ladder. I got really, really lucky. Um, and so we investigated, we kept like the guy next to me was like, what the hell just happened? I was like, my rope just failed. And I'm just like on the wall standing next to him, like holding onto a hold. And I was like, you maybe should climb down because we're all in the same anchor system. So I was like, I don't know what just happened, why my anchor failed, but your guys didn't. Um, so we go down, we investigate and the guy that set up the anchors did it wrong, not just wrong, but egregiously wrong. Like in hindsight, it was, it was like being held up with duct tape. That's the level of wrong this was. And it was criminal. It was, it was a, it was one of those things that could have gotten literally everybody on the team hurt incredibly badly. And this wasn't the first time that we had an incident with this guy, but, um, there was a transition period here where, um, a new head root setter had taken over the team and there was like this weird, bad blood, I think between him and I, because they had passed me over to give him the, the role of head root setter. And I was actually okay with that because I, I don't like managing people. Um, but there was there was ego involved. Anyways, when my anchor failed, we launched an investigation, figured out what happened. We brought it to the new head root setter. We brought it to the, his boss, to the very upper top of the chain of the, the climbing gym, to the guy that, like the right-hand guy of the owner. And we escalated the situation and nothing happened. Nothing happened. No, the guy wasn't reprimanded. The guy wasn't even, it wasn't fired. Um, no new protocols or safety trainings came down to like ensure that everybody was up to speed on what happened, how to avoid it in the future, put any kind of like new, you know, level of like, Hey, this is how we're going to do things moving forward. Like, this is important. We need to do better. None of that. And I just, after six months went by with nothing, no response to anything. And in fact, they started, I started getting very vocal with the rest of the team and getting vocal with management and just like starting to get very anal about all safety things and like holding us to a higher standard. And maybe I was being a dick about it. Maybe I didn't go about it the right way. It's definitely a possibility. Um, but they started um, punishing me in terms of removing me and taking away my 
setting opportunities at big competitions and things like that, which are kind of prestigious. And I had always been the guy who had set the uh, the finals routes, which is kind of like the the creme de la creme of like what everybody on the team wants. And I'd been doing it for five years up to that point, and then they took it away, and, or not five years, more like three or four. And so I was getting penalized. I was getting punished, I was getting ostracized, and not ostracized, the team was on my side here, but the the management just wasn't receptive. They weren't doing anything. And so I filed an OSHA complaint. And this was actually, what was interesting about this was, um, this happened, I filed the OSHA complaint about a month and a half, two months after the the, um, initial incident. And then it took them another five months before OSHA actually came to the facilities and followed up and did anything. And everything was fine up until that moment. And then they came to do the investigations and the gyms got fined for all sorts of things. We'll say a lot of things. And a week later I was fired and they found, they came up with other reasons obviously to fire me, but it really boiled down to at the end of the day, they knew that I was the whistleblower that I had, I had, um, done this thing. And so we filed a lawsuit and took him to court over all this, but that's not the point of the story. The, the point of the story is just, we're all fragile when you're working and your fate is in the hands of somebody else. And that was the last time I ever had a job working for somebody else because, and it was, it wasn't by intention that I got into entrepreneurship from that moment. But once I discovered entrepreneurship and could see the juxtaposition between being the one who is ultimately in control and responsible for my fate versus working for somebody else in a W-2 where anything could happen. I, I really had, I was powerless that I was like, this is a no brainer. Like entrepreneurship is the only path for me. And I'm really, really fortunate that I discovered that um, when I did in life. Uh, cause I can imagine a scenario where I just never would have discovered that, but I'm sharing this with you because depending on where you are in your journey, you might be starting to come to this realization that maybe W2 work isn't the way to go. Maybe you're already an entrepreneur and you've already you've gone down this path and you just need a little bit of you know, a, a reminder of what you've left behind because listen, like entrepreneurship is better than being a W2 employee, but it has a lot of downsides as well. A lot of cons It's very hard. It's very lonely. And it is also very insecure in a lot of ways, right? Like but it is worth the squeeze. The juice of the the juice is worth the squeeze, and so I just wanted to share this story with you guys because um, that that email I got from that lady a couple months back about her husband, the architect, losing his job, just kind of reminded me. It's been a long time since I've been an employee. It's been over a decade, and I, I just can never imagine a world of going back to there because I understand just how inherently risky it is. And hopefully, in sharing this, if you did not already know this, then maybe you can like look at your situation if you're a W-2 employee through a different lens and maybe start hedging, maybe a side hustle, start investing on the side or do something else so that that's not the only thing that you have to show for your efforts. And that's my that's my encouragement to you. So um, to learn more about that, if you do, if you, that's a path you want to go down, make sure you go and you subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Hyper-Focused Entrepreneur. It goes out every week, share a very in-depth, long-form article about how to become a better, higher level entrepreneur, whether you're starting out or you're hitting six or seven, eight figures and how to keep scaling, but in a way that you maximize your return on life. You can go check out that newsletter. It's totally free at anthonyvacino.com backslash newsletter. So go check that out and uh, we'll see you back around these parts tomorrow. But until then, stay hyper-focused, my friend. Hey, real quick, guys, you already know I don't run any ads on this because I want to keep it like a really awesome listening experience for you. 
but I do have an ask. I'd love it if you could just help me spread the word so we can help more entrepreneurs, creatives, and high performers just make more money with less stress and more fulfillment. So the best way that you can help me do that is by reading, reviewing, and sharing this podcast. Like the single thing I ask of you is please just take 10 seconds to drop a review. Seriously, it would, it would mean the world to me. And more importantly, it may just help change somebody's life. So thank you.